Greetings, everybody. It's Adi Bumaye. You are here for yet another episode of Just a Reminder Boxing Talk. I apologize for my time away, but I'm here for a very special episode because I'm doing my first ever interview with none other than Tanner Gill, a boxing matchmaker, manager, and genius. This man has opened my eyes to a lot of stuff in regards to boxing over these past several years. He assesses it better than almost anybody I know, maybe even anybody in general. And he's done a lot of great things for me. So welcome, Tanner. Thanks for that introduction. I don't, I don't know if I'm going to be able to live up to that. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I, th- I think you will. I, I truly believe that you will. So um, how has everything in uh, matchmaking and managing been for you as Oh, well, so at least on my end, uh, you know, the, the management has kind of picked up, you know, uh, two of my prospects last month. So haven't been at. No, no, no. They both they fought on separate cards. And then oh, okay. and another writer who uh, who is with the company uh, that my boss manages it was on the uh, was on the Jake Paul card. So. We had three fights, three weekends in a row, so I didn't do a whole lot of matchmaking uh, for October, but getting back to it right now for December and January cards. That's what's up. Um, A question about that, because, you know, I didn't really last that long in the matchmaking stuff. Um, I don't even know if you'll have an actual (laughs) answer, um, but knowing, like, my struggle, and you said you had it too, everybody does, how, like... You just get a ton of no's for a while. Like, is it at the point where it's easy now, or do you still, like, get a bunch of, like, loops that you had to jump through, a bunch of people telling you no, a bunch of people not cooperating? Uh, you know, I think I think it's pretty well accepted amongst people that work in the boxing industry that matchmaking is probably the hardest gig in boxing um, to have done it at a really high level for a really long time even even they would tell you that it's never it's never easy even you know when you're working on bigger shows and you have have a higher budget um you know it's you, you gotta be able to convince somebody to take a fight but there's also several other factors of timing yeah. and injuries and and matchups and location and there's so many other contributing factors other than just two guys saying, yeah, I'll fight that guy that, uh, you know, re- really makes it difficult. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, honestly. Um, what is your favorite aspect of all that you've been doing for boxing? Uh, you know, I think for me, what what I enjoy most is is kind of – what I enjoyed as just a boxing fan is kind of uh, watching a fighter, fighter development, watching a fighter develop from the ground up. Um, because of my job, I get to go out to a lot of these amateur tournaments and, you know, I get to see the next wave of young fighter and then, uh, you know, God willing, they choose to work with us. And then, you know, you get to be hands on and being the next step is from four rounds to six rounds and so forth um i think that's probably what i enjoy doing most is uh you know is being a part of the next wave of of boxing so 
I mean, even when I was, you know, even when I was just watching boxing, you know, it was to me, I always kept my eye on who who the next guy was going to be. Yeah, right on. Um, you really like them develop from the ground up. But I mean, I like to bench like the crazy fighters and like watch their first fights, maybe like some amateur fights too. But I mean, like actually knowing these guys and uh, being there, like perhaps in their gym session and, uh, when they sign stuff. Um, just actually like being part of their lives, being there, like right by the ring when they fight. Like I can only imagine that just like amplifies that entire aspect yeah you know it's uh it's a kind of a boxing business trope to to say you know don't get too attached to your fighters or you know don't fall in love with your fighters you'll hope hear people say that to coaches and managers and promoters but uh you know when you're when you're involved on on that side and and you're invested in the development of a fighter it's it's hard not to you know it's hard not to be uh, you know, emotionally attached to the situation or invested in the situation. Um, because at least on, on our end, we choose to work with the kid. It's because we, we truly believe that they have, uh, the potential to either a, be a star in this business or be a world champion. And you, you, you want to be a part of helping them see that through. And, uh, you know, so it, it's, it's hard not to get invested. I don't know how, I don't know how people would do it. Uh, you know, I don't know how people can can work with fighters hands on and and not uh, and be like detached from the situation. It's ne- it, to me, it would be nearly impossible. You want to see these kids succeed. Yeah, I agree with that. And I mean, I feel a lot of like casual fans don't really understand that aspect with like managers and promoters, etc., being detached from fighters. Like, for example, like look at. Cat Sorung Bisai, like, I'm sure you know he lost, like, a few of his early fights. I, I read, I, I'm not sure how true it is, I believe it is true that, like, he had a really crooked matchmaker that was, like, overmatching him on purpose just for, just to put some money in his pockets. He didn't really care about him, like. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it happens, you know, there's, uh, you know, I, I was just having this conversation with a, a friend of mine who who also works in the business the other day that i mean to survive in this business you you have to have a little bit of a shark in you um just because everybody else does <laughs> and uh you know but but to to do right by you have to find the best i guess for us at least on on the management end it's uh you know it's us and the fighters uh, against everybody you know and uh some people look at it the other way it's it's me against everybody i'm gonna get as much money as i can right now and regardless of what that means for anybody else um i don't know if that's the ethical way to play it but there's there's a lot of people who play it that way i i don't know much about uh rung early career i do know that bounce back from from early losses and and make it as far as he did can be uh can be incredibly rare so oh yeah yeah so i i tip my hat to them my hat yeah. to him about that yeah it's I mean, uh go, go ahead on. 
it, it can be difficult, you know, it's, uh, it, well, and I, he may have benefited from, uh, you know, Thailand has a, has a different fighting culture than, than what we have over here. Oh, um, yes. they'll fight every week if they, you know, if they have to, uh, you know, I'm sure the, the pay for four and six round fights over there is substantially less. So, you know, if you're a fighter who's trying to feed your family just off fighting, you know, you may have to fight every week. And uh, yeah, yeah. it's been a while since I've looked at his resume, but I'd imagine that probably played a role in how he turned his record around was fighting so frequently. Yeah, I think so too. And um, he was actually like one of, if not the only champion at the time I was aware of that would like, he'd have these like stay busy fights against like lesser fighters for lower rounds while he had the title. And nobody really even seemed to care. Perhaps it's because he's not American or he wasn't a global superstar. Like, he had fame, popularity, don't get me wrong, but he wasn't, like, a superstar. Not everybody knew who he was, but. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't ha- I mean, I don't want to say it doesn't happen here. It, it used to, uh, you know, in the 80s and 90s, it was, it was prevalent here. You know, guys would fight five or six times a year, and not every one of those fights can be, you know, Tyson Holyfield or or Lewis Holyfield you know sometimes you you have a a stay busy fight just to keep your tools sharp and you know and all that stuff seems to be happening less and less here because I mean looking at the landscape fighters are just fighting a lot less frequently than they used to yeah that's sad um you know I would like to see a little more activity uh you know by by the you know the top one percent of fighters. You know, I don't know that one or two fights a year is is really enough. You know, I think yeah, three. I, I think if you're if you're a world champion, you know, I think you should at least still shoot for three times a year. But then again, there's a lot that goes into a big fight. So and there's yeah, you know, there's several other factors, and you know, it's uh, it's not always necessarily up to the fighter to how frequently they get to fight. So. Yeah, you're right. Um, I want to ask you a question. Like, maybe I should know this by now, but I don't. Um, I'm not saying you were guilty of this at all. I, I truly don't. But, like, fighters like, say, Demetrius Andre that say they don't fight that often because they, they're unhappy with their managers and all that. Like, why can't they just, like, leave their managers if that's the case? Um. Well, I mean... I, I'm, I'd imagine every management contract, uh, you know, is a little bit different. I think, you know, the mo- majority of the time when we see fighters uh, stuck in inactivity uh, because of pr- or because of contract disputes, it's almost always a promotional dispute. They're having a dispute with their promoter and uh, promotional contracts seem to be a little harder to get out of. Uh, here in the states, than than a management contract. Uh, I, I don't know why, but that that seems to be the perception. And we uh, we have we have, I mean, there's so many promoters here in this country, but there's only you know a handful, maybe less than a handful, that have a TV deal. So if you in you sign with the promoter who who doesn't have a TV deal, all the money in boxing trickles down from TV, every last dime of it. 
And if you're with the promoter that, that isn't in on one of those deals, well, you have to go fight on another promoter's card. Well, your current promoter has theoretically invested money into you to get you to that point. And now they need a cut back of that. And then you also have, you know, you also have management that gets a percentage. So I think we see fighters get tied up in these promotional deals. Um, and it, they end up with what ultimately become, you know, when they're ready to fight on TV, they ultimately end up with what is, you know, two sets of managers who may have different interests and fighter, you know, maybe told a price that, that, you know, they feel the, the fight is worth more than what they're being told. And it gets ugly. Um, I, I don't remember exactly what Andre's situation was. Um, I know he's bounced from a couple different promoters. I believe he was with star boxing for a little bit. Um, but yeah, that's, that, that's at least in my observation, when a fighter is tied up in a bad deal, um, it's almost always a promotional deal as opposed to a management deal. Yeah, that, that's what I meant. But um, I appreciate your feedback on that a lot. I mean, I, I can't really dispute it at all. I believe that you're right. I just didn't know if uh, maintaining the roles that you do, that I didn't know if you'd be more familiar. Well, in the, in the you know, in, in just, I mean, given that the, the you know, my response to that last question, it's, it's, I mean, there's people who, I mean, there's professional fighters who, uh, you know, because the lines get get so blurred in in this business, you know, sometimes they don't know the difference between the the manager and and the promoter and uh, the advisor, or, you know, or whatever it may be. Um, it it gets it gets murky because, uh, you know, if you're like I said, if you're uh, a fighter who is either you know if you're signed with a let's say a promoter that doesn't have Let's say you're you're a fighter and you sign a management deal, have a promotional deal. Well, th- theoretically, or a lot of times, there's there's two ways for for a fighter to get fights. You know, if you're building them, you know, not somebody who's just going to go out and just take whatever the highest offer is. If you're building a fighter, they have a management deal, no promotional deal. Traditionally, management pays for that fight. They, you know, they they pay for the cost of the opponent because you know promoters aren't aren't going to spend money to put you on their card if you're not their fighter so what they do is they will sell a spot on their card to the fighter fighters management covers the cost fighter gets wins with the idea being racking up those wins gets you a promotional deal and then you make money back after you get the deal but when you have or fighters sign with promoters that don't have TV deals, they also have to take you to another promoter. So then, you know, once you reach a certain level, at that point, your promoter is now essentially acting as your manager. And, uh, you know, the lines just get murky. Uh, you know, I mean, even at the even at the highest levels, you know, we have uh, Al Heyman, who's the head of PBC, uh, most oftenly referred to as an advisor, which really, you know, is really a manager 
um, Al Heyman has a TV deal, but Al Heyman isn't necessarily a promoter on paper. He hires promoters to promote shows on the TV dates that he has. So technically he's doing, you know, he's doing shows and his fighters are fighting on these shows, but you know, what, what is his role really? Is he an advisor? Is he a promoter? Is he a manager? So even at the highest levels, you know, you see these, you know, guys in certain positions end up filling multiple roles and it gets, it gets muddy. And I can imagine it would be, it would be difficult for boxing fans to, uh, to keep up with all that. When, when you put it that way, it really makes sense considering like Al Heyman is regarded as a promoter, but then like in these post-fight interviews, guys are like, I got to talk to Al Heyman to see what's next. Like if he's a promoter, wouldn't that necessarily not be his job? And like in all the press, he's never there. So, yeah, you know, it's, uh, you know, I, I, I don't have a ton of experience, uh, working with PVC, but you know, my, my thing with other promoters, you know, is, you know, you'll have a promoter will have a date in a venue and theoretically a TV deal, and they'll, they'll look up and down the roster, and they'll say, okay, well, we need this guy and this guy and this guy on this show. And, you know, they may have an idea of who they want that guy to fight, but generally the matchmaker will take over for the matchups. Matchmaker work out management, you know, and they negotiate a deal and see if they can make the fight happen. And, uh, you know, often boxing fans get caught up in the – even myself, I used to all the time. I'd be online arguing about, oh, this fighter is ducking this fighter, and <laughs> and it's it's just it's it's never that simple, you know. There's there's so many things. I mean, fight look, fighters don't make fights happen. Promoters and matchmakers make fights happen, and if the fight doesn't line up with what they're trying to do, the, the fight's just not going to happen. And, and, uh, unfortunately there, we have a large contingent of fans that, that don't understand that, which is whatever. It's cool. It keeps them talking about, keeps them talking about boxing and contributes to the health of the sport, but, um, it can be a little annoying sometimes. Yeah. Hands down. And I don't feel a lot of people truly acknowledge that. And even if they know, I feel some, purposely ignore it because i mean if two guys want to fight like i i truly believe they want to fight like for example spence and crawford like a lot of people say that one side's ducking the other i i truly at this point believe both want to fight each other but there's a lot of loopholes especially in a fight of that magnitude like you said it's never that simple and um one sorry go on i know yeah i was just gonna say there's a lot you know i know that's a, a hot button topic right now there's just there's a lot of moving parts there um, I, I, I totally can understand why that fight is, is difficult to make, even with, yeah, me too. even with Crawford being, even with Crawford being a free agent right now, I could, I can still understand why that fight would be hard to make. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it, yeah, it's, it's not as easy as just ha- if, if, if we could have every fight where, you know, where two guys just wanted to fight each other, uh, we would never miss out. We would never miss out on a, on a mega fight they would always happen yeah that's that's absolutely true and another thing uh that um corroborates with what i said earlier um 
Not nobody really in the boxing industry that I believe in. Like, I never had an amateur fight, unfortunately. Different story for a different day. I think you already know the story, but nobody in the pro boxing industry is truly like scared of each other. That stuff I heard leaves very early in the amateur days because I mean they have to train to fight people that they've never even seen face to face. They don't know what their style's like, so like I don't believe anybody. No, regardless of like the loopholes they had to jump through, nobody's scared of each other. Yeah, I mean, I th- you know I think there is different types of fear that that sets in amongst you know all parties and, and I don't believe very rarely is it the fear of getting in there with another man and thinking that you can't beat him. You know, most of these yeah. guys, if boxing is something that you've dedicated your is your profession uh you know it's almost always part of your personality that you think you can beat anybody you because you almost you almost have to have that mentality to survive and and make it to the highest levels um you know but there are other things they fear you know fear of well am i gonna miss out on this fight am i gonna miss out on this payday uh is it too early am i gonna lose this money that i invested you know it's it's. I think it's usually the fear of other. Uh, it's usually a fear of like other factors, as opposed to fearing the man that they're that they're suggesting you get in the ring with. You actually took the words right out of my mouth. Like, there's several reasons as to why fighters do. It's not like, oh, I'm scared this guy's gonna put me in the hospital. Nothing like that. No. Yeah, that's why I like the. Uh, you know, like the on Showtime, you know, there's there's two two separate, you know, uh, for box. There's championship boxing, which is typically PBC cards, and and uh, as of right now, you know, the Jake Paul cards, stuff like that. Yeah. But then, but then there's also Showbox, and Showbox's thing is. Uh, you know, they're really adamant about, we, you know, we want 50-50 fights. We want prospects versus prospects. And, you know, getting multiple prospect versus prospect fights on one card uh, is extremely rare and, and almost, you know, almost impossible to do. Uh, you know, and Showbox does it at a really high level and they've been doing it for years. So I, I, I always tune into those shows because it's, you know, it's kind of like, right up my wheelhouse i think eventually you know you you get to you get to 12 15 fights you got to start thinning the herd out you got to find out hey you know not all of these guys can be 30 and 0 and a world champion you know you they've they've got to fight each other and find out which one's really the guy and uh really the main platform doing that right now so like just a reminder i possess no network bias whatsoever and i'll there's a lot of people that are biased towards PBC and uh, Showtime, for that matter. But I mean, at least Showtime is out here doing stuff like Showbox. Yeah, I, I I'd like to see them. You know, I I think theoretically they're supposed to do like spread across different promoters. Like Lute Bella will promote a Showbox card. Uh, Dimitri Salida will promote a Showbox card. Uh, Samson will will promote a Showbox card. And, uh, you know, it's oftentimes they're cross promotional fights too, you know, so you'll see one promotions prospect versus another promotions prospect. Uh, you know, and I don't know that, I don't even know that hardcore box always tune into show box, you know, it's, if there's a fight that is their eye, they might tune in, but, 
I would encourage boxing fans to uh to tune into Showbox because they're almost always good competitive fights against uh guys who are being built to get to that point. Yes, I, I agree, and there's a lot of fans, well, most particularly casuals that will only watch fighters that they know. They don't tune into those cards because they don't know who anybody is, but I mean, there was also times where they didn't know the fighters that they know, and I mean, you never know if one of these fighters on Showbox might be the next big thing. They might maintain the style that those people are into, so yes, I believe all boxing fans need to watch Showbox. Yeah, you miss out, you know, if, you, if you're only watching guys – that you already know, you know, you miss, you're missing out on, on so much boxing. I mean, just, I mean, even matching club shows and stuff, you know, some of the best fights I've ever seen are four round fights, you know, and, yes, in, in some small venue in the Midwest that on paper weren't even supposed to be good fights, you know, and, uh, and they end up tearing the house down. Yes. Hands down. Um, you know what, that brings me to my next question because, believe it or not, I've never been to a boxing match ever. Um, what is the atmosphere like there? Uh, you know, it's it's kind of different. Uh, you, you know, it's kind of different depending on where you're in the country. And, I mean, gosh, I've been to club shows where only 100 show up, but those 100 people are are all there to see the same guy. And so when he comes out, it just lights up the whole place and you feel like you're in Madison square garden for a world heavyweight title fight. Um, you know, and then I've also been to shows that had thousands of people and, and the crowd was kind of dead. Um, and there's a bunch of and that's, it, it's to me boxing is like the rawest form of entertainment you know it's uh yes. it's people testing themselves against another person how do you how do you perform when there's another person that's trained for six to eight weeks to try to take your head off and you know do you crumble or do you uh do you rise to the occasion and i don't know i just uh something about that gets my blood flowing so I will say that one of the most unique uh, live crowd scenarios uh, that I've ever been in was uh, my boss organized this. It was an all-influencer event called Creator Clash um, in Tampa, Florida. And it was essentially YouTubers or internet celebrities with different platforms or, or, you know, they were all, you know, they all had millions of subscribers on different platforms and stuff. And, you know, when, when he told me he was working on it, you know, I'm just like, oh, okay, cool. Like, you know, everybody's doing influencer boxing right now. Uh, you know, it's not going to be a huge thing or, or anything like that. And I get down there and it was, it was massive. I mean, I mean, these guys, I mean, there was like 14,000 people packed into an arena, which uh, well, that's like the numbers Jake Paul and Anderson Silva just did. Uh, it way exceeded expectations on pay-per-view. And I think there was like 13 or 14 fights. And it was such a young crowd, not your traditional boxing crowd. You know, I'd say maybe, maybe out of uh, 13, 14,000 people, there was maybe – you know, 10, like, 
hardcore boxing people there. The rest oh, wow. were people. Uh, the, the rest were people who were there to see their favorite YouTuber. It was a young crowd, and I and I I'm not even kidding. These people they treated every fight like it was Pacquiao in the middle of Manila. I mean, it was it was electric. Like it, it was insane. I can't wait for the next one. Uh, I wish I could have been there, honestly. Yeah, man, it totally, you know, kind of changed my perspective on, on the influencer boxing. You know, at first I was kind of, uh, you know, I was kind of like every hardcore boxing fan, like, gosh, get these guys out of our sport. (laughs) And then, uh, I saw the energy down there and I'm looking around the crowd at all these young faces. And it's like, man, there's like, there's thousands of people here. If, if, one or or two percent of these people go home and tell their parents that they want to start going to the local boxing gym or they want to take up boxing or they start buying other boxing pay-per-views because they enjoyed the fights like that's huge for for our industry it brings new new eyes and and uh you know pumps new life and and more money into into our sport and that's it's better for everybody Yep, I agree. That's the one thing that I appreciate about like what guys like Jake Paul are doing. I mean, there's always going to be the fans who are like, I don't care about boxing, but if like Jake Paul, Logan Paul fights, I'm going to watch it. But I mean, like, it still is bringing new eyes to the sport, as you said. I mean, yeah, I think they're. I think you know, I think they're doing a great job of creating a a new generation of of boxing fans. You know, it may not be uh, the same type of boxing fans that that you and I are, but um, I mean, look, these, these boxing business businesses, they're not really concerned about the money they get from you or I, they know, they know guys like me and you are going to buy the pay-per-view regardless, you know, uh, they want the casual viewer to tune in, you know, they want the fight to feel big enough that, that the casual viewer is going to buy it. So even if they, you know, even if Jake Paul or, an influencer, you know, even if they convert uh, a small percentage of their crowd into a casual boxing fan, that's great for boxing. You know, if if they even if they're only buying Canelo fights or or Tyson Fury fights or or whatever, it's still a good thing. And another thing is, there's a lot of fighters, well, fighters and uh, fight fans that are like, these clowns need to go. They're ruining our sport. I mean, I get the frustration, but they're not ruining the sport at all. I don't think so. No, I mean, and look, this the, these type of things have, you know, have been around a lot, yeah. long, a lot longer than, than people can. I mean, celebrity boxing has been around forever. Uh, you know, uh, Muhammad Ali did exhibitions. Um, you know, it's... Uh, you know, it's bo- funny. Not to not to cut you off, um, a lot of a lot of um fight fans uh really hate Floyd and they hate the way he was matched. Uh, a lot of these guys, to my estimation, are like older guys, fans of like the older eras. But what they don't acknowledge is that like Archie Moore, who's a legend beyond legends, his very last fight was against an MMA fighter simply because he called him out. So that stuff has been around. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the 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 cross sport fights, you know, I mean, uh, you know, Ali did a, a fight with uh, Antonio Inoki, who's a legendary wrestler from Japan, that was and 
Yeah, you know, stuff stuff like that is ha, has been around forever. I mean, even uh, you know, even Butterbean was was more of a spectacle than he was a legitimate heavyweight contender. You know, and uh, you know, he did four round fights, and heck, ma- major promotions had had no job or had no problem, you know, trotting him out for for fans to see, uh, knowing damn well that you know he was never going to fight for a heavyweight. So, you know, I see the problem having, uh, you know, Jake and Logan Paul in fights that are going to attract viewers, even if they're never going to fight a legitimate 12-round boxer or, or whatever people are, are suggesting they do. Yeah, me neither. Um, like, if they have a formula that's making them money, making the sport money, and is essentially doing good for the sport, like, stick to it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, no, it's 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 great, and I know, uh, you know, we've had guys on our roster fight on multiple Jake Paul cards, and it was it was a great thing for them. So I, I hope I hope that uh, that Jake continues to find success in the sport, and he and he rides this this wave till the wheels fall off. I agree, and I, I actually have a story to tell you, a real short one. It's funny, and um, I feel guilty about it, like. It's a dear friend of mine that said this. I'm like, if I ever have this guy on the show, I will never say that he was the one that said it. Like, I feel that bad. Now. <laughs> but he's, he's, he's a definite casual. We all have our casual friends, right? But he's slowly getting into the sport. Not, like, majorly, but he's slowly getting into it, I'd say. So he pays attention to, like, what, like the heavyweight division, per se. Like, he likes Fury. He likes Wilder. And uh, Jake Paul, he's paying attention to. Not because he likes him, but he just notices. But... He was talking to me, he's like, because he doesn't know, like, how the weight classes work quite yet. He was talking about, like, one of these days, Jake Paul's going to get, like, so big because of what he's doing. Uh, he's going to get um, told by his promoter or matchmaker he needs to fight for a title shot. Or, like, <laughs> Fury and Wilder, their, ma- their promoters are going to tell them to fight Jake Paul. And they're going to be convinced all parties around that it's too lucrative to turn down. I'm like, do you realize, like, how devastating that would be to... Fury or Wilder's stock if they fought someone like Jake Paul ever. Yeah, no, I think I think your I think your friend's perception of of how things work are are a little off. <laughs> uh, you know, folks, I'm so, so I'm slowly explaining that to him. Yeah, so you know, for one, Jake, you know, Jake essentially promotes himself. Um, you know, they do they they do work with uh, Bryce Holden, who's the son of legendary promoter Tony Holden who promoted Tommy Morrison amongst many others um so Bryce you know does the the on ground work and you know promotes the show but you know he's he's him and Jake are I, I'm assuming more partners than they are in a situation where Jake you know that I I guess what I'm saying is Jake doesn't really have anybody that can tell him Hey, you've got to fight for this title, or you've got to fight yeah, this person. No. You've got to do this. He's, you know, he's he's a large enough figure now that, and it's you know, it's such a non-traditional boxing scenario that he doesn't really have anybody that can tell him what to do. He's kind of yeah. calling his own shots. So. Like like we said, we he fights non-traditional boxers. Like he's not fighting like journeyman or prospects. He's not fighting anybody that would even put him in contention. Yeah, but I'll I'll tell you what you know. I mean, look. Uh, you know, I, I, I work with 
several prospects, both on on the management side, but uh, more on the on the matchmaking side, even more. And I'll say this: I, I know kids that had 150, 200 amateur fights, multiple national title victories. That if you proposed the type of opposition to them that Jake Paul's fought in his first five or six fights, you would, you would get a no, they would turn those fights down. Um, so hats off to him. The comp, the competition has, is, you know, even though they're not not guys from traditional boxing backgrounds is usually a MMA crossover situation, still significantly tougher than the guys who, who, uh, regular prospects are fighting in four and six round fights on on club shows. Also, and also he's you know he's going eight rounds already, uh, you know, in, in his fifth and sixth fight. So, you know, most most people don't jump to eight till yeah till yeah. around nine ten fights. So, you know, hats off to him. I mean, I know like like we said multiple times, it's not a not a traditional boxing path or or or, or anything like that. He didn't have any amateur experience, and plus, he's a he was a mega star prior to boxing. So, you know, he's kind of got the freedom to do things a little differently. But you know, I don't, I don't find any fault with his matchmaking. You know, I think, yep. I think he's been in. Uh, you know, if it, the it, at the very least, the two Woodley fights and the Anderson Silva fights on paper were competitive matchups and the Anderson Silva fight was a tough grueling fight. So, um, you know, he not only, you know, has he kind of earned my respect by, you know, bringing new eyes to the business. He's, he's earned my respect in the ring, you know, actually. So yeah, for sure. Um, before I say what I want to reply to your comment with, I do want to add that this app has like an hour limit. So I will be stopping at one point, assuming that it goes over an hour, but we'll, We'll reignite it if you're cool with that. And, no um, problem. No problem. About Jake, like, regardless of what anybody says or said about him, I always, like, I always could tell that he actually does, like, work hard and try, regardless of what his opposition like. So I do respect him, too. Yeah, so, you know, it appears that he trains really, really hard. He's got some, some very serious boxing people, you know, in his camp, people who have – who have lived boxing their their entire life, uh, you know, guys like Jaylion Love and people like that around him. Um, so he's, uh, you know, he's look, he's got the financial freedom that he can train seven days a week and focus boxing. I think the theory is that that will kind of, uh, you know, at least if you're in Jake Paul's camp, the theory there is that will help him close the experience gap and the, you know, the lack of amateur experience and coming to the sport a little late because, you know, your average, your average fighter who's trying to come up on the club shows, you know, they're, uh, you know, I mean, heck, you've, you've tried to match a couple fights, you know what the pay is for, for four and six round fights. You know, you can't feed your family on that. So these guys are juggling full-time jobs, taking care of the kids, going to the gym, and preparing for a fight. And, you know, if you're not super dedicated and super hungry, uh, you know, you're probably going to hit a plateau where 
uh, you know, you're just not getting better or you realize, hey, I'm putting everything into this and I'm not really getting anything back. Um, you know, for Jake, you know, he 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 can afford because he because he made his his money and had a career prior to boxing. He can afford to jump head first 100 percent into boxing. And I, and I think that's probably a contributing factor to his success, even against the MMA guys. Yes, hands down, and I mean, his very first, like, fight I remember was an exhibition. He he fought another YouTuber after that that, like, I don't believe fought again. I mean, I even respect those guys. I, res- I respect personally anybody that steps in the room, like, that tragedy with that, your Boston Lee guy that David Morrell fight, fought, like, you never know when that stuff can happen. Like, that stuff doesn't get planned. You know, the, the situation with the Morrell fight from this it kind of, uh, I mean, look, so I guess different scenarios. I thought the Morel fight should have been stopped oh, we are. probably around the eighth round. That guy took a ton of big punches. Uh, he wasn't winning any rounds. He wasn't giving anything back. Um, but it just, it made me, made me reflect on the, like the Maxim Dadashev situation oh, uh, against Subriel Matias and, I remember that fight as, uh, you know, I was watching it, you know, and I know some fans kind of gave Buddy McGirt some flack for that, thought he should have thrown in the towel earlier. But my opinion is that there really wasn't a point in that fight that you could have thrown in the towel until it was too late because Dadashev was fighting back. He had won a couple rounds. Like, yeah, I agree with presenting he you know he he was still in the fight but you know one boxing is one of those things where one punch can change everything not just not just even you know not even talking about health and and well-being one punch can can change you the course of your entire career it can affect your potential career earnings um you know that's why I hate to say it, that's why, like, the people who invest in fighters to, you know, to build them and get them to a certain point, that's why they can be so cautious about making the tough fights, the fights that fans want to see happen, because one punch in this fighter that you've invested all this money in, uh, you know, it, they they can now be viewed entirely differently, you know, so. Yeah, hands down, and um, a few things I want to say about that fight, um. I'm pretty sure you saw me say it in Ring IQ back when um, it was still the best chat in the world, the best boxing group. Uh, shout out to Ring IQ. Oh, yeah, shout out. Re- resurrect Ring IQ. Resurrect Ring IQ, <laughs> hashtag. Um, but, no, um, I don't know if you saw. I was just, like, backing up Sabriel Matias. You know, he's been one of my favorite prospects. And I never wanted it to happen, but I was just talking stuff. I was like, he's going to turn Maxim Dadashev into Dadashev and then, that comment aged considerably poorly, so I'll never, I'll never like say anything as a joke about someone dying or getting killed in the ring. Like, I would never want that. Yeah, it's uh, it's unfortunate, you know. He left behind a wife and a young son, and um, you know, he was and Dadashev was a good fighter. You know, he, he was, was yes, he he was. he was within. I I believe that fight was actually was actually an eliminator. Um, you know, he was within sniffing distance of a world title shot, uh, you know, and just like that, not only career over, but life over. And, 
you know, these guys, these guys, they, they really do put it all on the line. And I don't even know that, that everyone, every boxer that gets in there totally understands that, you know, they don't. Uh, the thing is, sorry, go on. No, it's fine. Go ahead. Um, what you said about Buddy McGirt was the thing is, I don't know his amateur record, but I do know he had like a, a dozen short or so from like a hundred fights as a pro. So like he knows what it's, he knows what basically the climax of every fight is. Like, I, I think he would know, like you said, there was not a time to really properly throw in the towel and he did the best job he could in my wholehearted opinion. Yeah, I, I think so too. I, I don't remember... Uh, without going back and watching, I don't remember like the exact ending sequence. I think I, I think it was like round nine. So I I think you'll remember this. Most of Matias's best work in that fight was to the body. You know, he was he was rounds nine through eleven. He was really beating him to the body. But round ten, you know, Dadashev was still fighting back, and then yeah. I, I believe it was round eleven. Uh, when Matias poured it on, and then I think the fight was stopped after the eleventh round, and then he collapsed as he was exiting the ring. But yeah, man, it's uh, it, it, I anybody, at least in my opinion, anybody who was giving Buddy McGirt flack for that fight and thought he should have thrown in the towel earlier has either a you know never worked a corner or uh, you know never trained a fighter or or even even watched boxing, you know, or, or knows boxing with enough understanding to understand that, hey, if your guy's fighting back, you know, and, and by all accounts, he, he looks like he can he can still try to pull this off, you know, you you got to let him give, you got to let him have a chance. Yeah, hands down. And the, the thing is, he also had to beg Dadashev to fight, I mean, excuse me, to stop the fight. Yeah. Um, and he had the he had the right approach about it. And another thing is, um, Mike Mary, we, I know you have a ton of respect for him. I mean, I certainly do. Um, there's a thing with, like, fight fans, mostly the couch critics, like, no one's allowed to quit. But I remember I saw Mike say, nope, it's a grueling sport. One punch can change it all. If you have no chance of winning or you're seriously hurt, just go ahead and get out. Yeah, of course. That's, uh, you know, I, I mean, look, I <laughs> boxing fans are, are super unforgiving. Uh, you know, they'll, they'll clown a guy who, uh, you know, who had an off night, laid it all on the line, had an off night, you know, not knowing every, you know, what he went through for eight weeks just to get to that point. And if you're outgunned, you're outgunned, you know, li- you know, there's the, the saying live to fight another day exists for a reason, you know, it's cause boxing has been around forever and these situations have presented themselves over and over again. Uh, you know, I don't work a whole lot of corners. Uh, sometimes I, I do end up in that situation. Uh, but yeah, I would, I would never, I would never let a guy that I work with just keep taking a beating in hopes that he's gonna, you know, land, land a lucky punch, you know, just, yeah, no. it's, 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 it's a dangerous sport. During the Dillian White and Lucas Brown fight, because um, they they were talking in commentary in the, the commentary for like the last four rounds that the fight should be stopped, and uh, uh, Max Kellerman was like, "So we all know that Brown has the power in the right, but should he be taking all these senseless punches just in hopes of landing the right?" And then soon after, he got knocked out. 
Yeah, he uh, gosh, Lucas, but he can take a beating though, man. He's he he, he, can. he can take a he can take a big punch, but yeah, it it so uh, at least from my understanding from from talking with ringside physicians and stuff, it's not the big punch that that uh, kills guys. It's the sustained beatings over twelve rounds. Exactly. Uh, you know the repetitive so. You know, if you're in a 12-round fight and the guy's been knocked down three or four times, but he's hanging in there because he's too tough to quit, uh, you know, those are the fights that it gets really, really dangerous. Um, you know, and then if you add in other factors like uh, how much weight they cut and how dehydrated they still are from that, it gets like, even more dangerous. sparring is like, because some guys go like... Gum yeah. Like, I mean, we so, so we just saw this with... Uh, you know, with the Jake Paul Anderson Silva card where uh, the fight was was almost scrapped uh, at the last minute because some news had broke that Anderson had said that he was knocked out twice in sparring uh, like six to eight weeks before the fight. And the Arizona Boxing Commission called um, called like an emergency meeting. And ultimately, it was like a translation issue uh where anderson was just uh, you know anderson's uh he's not your typical fighter he was trying to heap praise upon his sparring partners and, and say oh you know these guys are so good they knocked me out you know in a, in a joking manner uh and they took it serious and, and like in in the 11th hour he had to go get a new you know a bunch of a whole battery of tests an mri a ct scan uh, you know, and have a last second meeting with the commission to make sure he was fit to fight. Um, you know, it was probably a little scary for the guys who were on the card, uh, considering, you know, the coming off the heels of the Madison Square Garden card getting canceled. Yeah. Uh, but but I, I'm grateful for, for fighters that these these protocols and these things are are in place because, uh, you know, you take take them away in this a dangerous sport gets exponentially more dangerous yes hands down yeah it's uh it's a tough game especially when you have guys who you know who are for you know up in their 40s i mean i'm as a boxing fan you know this some guys don't know when to call it quits you know they yeah, want yeah. They, they will fight as long as their body will let them so you have to have some sort of oversight you know to tell these guys well hey if you're still choosing to do this, you still have to meet these requirements. You know, you still have, to, we have to make sure your eggs aren't scrambled. You know, we have to make yeah. sure that your, your speech isn't slurred. And sometimes things fall through the cracks. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't have a ton of experience working with the Florida commission, but I can tell you this much. Evander Holyfield had no business fighting. Um, uh, I was very angry about that. Yeah, it was, it, it wasn't, it wasn't a good look, you know. I mean, sure, if he goes out and he wins, yeah, it's awesome. You know, you get to see a legend get his hands raised in his in his later years, and you know, the novelty of that is cool. But it's just there's such a huge risk with that. Yeah, absolutely. And there's like, there's been too many legends and Hall of Famers that like like Matthew Saad Muhammad, for example, that once they were done, they just took loss after loss after loss. Now with Vander Holyfield, he took a trilogy of losses in a row um to chris bird james tony donald and he was actually suspended for years 
because they were so concerned over him. That, in my opinion, speaks volumes that they didn't just let him fall into the journeyman rankings just to get beat by other guys. And by the time that he came back, like, there was clearly, like, no sense of having him in the ring. I mean, he was fighting. Well, I vaguely remember being a teenager, and there was a Holyfield scenario where I believe they were trying to do a fight in in Atlantic City, and he couldn't get approved in the U.S. still, so he ended up fighting in, in Europe, whether I think, you know, maybe Russia or Germany or somewhere. Um, it, it seems o- overseas commissions do seem to be a little more relaxed. Uh, I mean, yeah, there, there are there are commissions here in the States that are really relaxed. Uh, you know, everybody in boxing knows what states are, are easygoing and which ones aren't. I won't, <laughs> I won't mention any by name because I happen to work in a few. But, uh, it, uh, you know, it, there are states where where things slip through the cracks more than others, but uh, on a larger scale, uh, I mean, like the like the Nevada State Athletic Commission is pretty much the gold standard for commissions. You know, everybody will try to follow suit with them, um, and you know that's you know some some people who who I work with hate it because it can it it does it can if you got a commission that's uh, really strict it can make it harder to make fights um you know if it, there's and, it, and what really makes it difficult is here in the states is each state almost almost every state has different guidelines they require different medicals they've got different rules for who can and can't fight um i mean even uh kentucky here has a, a standing eight count for professional fights I don't know of any other state in the union that, that does that. So um, if you're working in matchmaking or management or you're a promoter who does shows in multiple states, it, it can be difficult to get acquainted with, with the different rule sets from different commissions. It's really interesting that you say that about the eight counts because I've very rarely seen that. Like, obviously, we see an eight count if, like, someone gets held up by the ropes. I remember, once again, Evander Holyfield, when he fought – Bobby Chaz, who just a reminder, had no business as a heavyweight. Uh, he got an eight count out of nowhere. The ropes didn't hold him up. He just took a lot of punches to the head. And I mean, I think we all know that the eight count isn't really like administered in the pro boxing ranks because the people behind the amateur fights they don't want these amateur fighters taking like senseless punishment because they want them to grow and develop into a pro. So I mean, if fighters just keep getting eight counts. Um, and the pros like that I feel um, interrupts the momentum of the person that hurt them. I, I couldn't say that perfectly, but it is yeah, so I, I totally I totally understand it, you know on on the amateur level. I mean because amateur fights, you know it's it's live sparring, you know it's it's experience. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's still competition and it can be intense competition, but, uh, you know, nine, you know, 99.9% of the time you're not making any money off of it. And you don't, you don't want to see anybody, uh, taking punishment, you know, for no reason. Um, so I think that's why, you know, that the the reason for the eight counts and 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 that, and they don't even count the eight counts in scoring oh, wow. for amateur boxing. So you yeah, know it's it's really just to give the fighter a break. 
Yeah, my first coach, well, my second coach who I felt like shaped me into what I ultimately ended as, and that is, in my wholehearted opinion, a good fighter. But he really cared about uh, power and uh, hurting guys, finishing everybody. And I, he bred a lot of fighters that would do such a thing. But my first coach was very adamant. He's like, I don't care about power because it's not going to do anything for you in the amateurs. It's hard to get stoppages. Um, they, and like I said, they don't want to see fighters take a lot of damage. It's not going to do anything for the scoring. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. I mean, so I rarely see, you know, I do see amateur boxing teams who, who understand the USA boxing scoring criteria and, they produce good amateur after good amateur, but I think I think it's rare that a coach would train their fighters specifically just to be good amateur boxers because uh, you know it's 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 you know it's very different from from at least the scoring is you know it's definitely different. At the end of the day, you know somebody throwing punches at you and you got to punch them back. But it's, you know, it's just very different from pro boxing. So um, I, I do find that kind of weird that, you know, he didn't care about things like, you know, punching for power. I, I get I mean, I get that getting stoppages is is hard to do in amateur boxing. It really, really is. You know, if you got a guy in amateur boxing who's consistently stopping people, uh, he's probably a monster. Yeah. Um, but it's it's. I mean, so look, we we go out to these these amateur tournaments, nationals, and all that, looking to sign the next wave of professional prospects. And for us, you know, I I, I mean, I know I've came out of several fights thinking, you know, hey, the guy who lost that fight is the better prospect because he's got the better style suited suited for the pros. Yeah, this guy racked up a bunch of point points because he. You know, he punched, you know, real quick and he was a little busier. But the other kid, the kid that lost in a 12-round fight or a six, three-minute round fight, he would have found an opening and he would have caught that guy. Um, so when I'm watching amateur boxing, I'm not even necessarily looking at, at at who's winning the fight as, a you know, for USA Boxing scoring criteria. I'm looking at the fight as which one of these guys has the tool set, the skills, and everything that that goes into making them a good professional boxer, because they're they're just they're different sports. They're they're similar. They they're are, you know they they're are. they're similarities, but they're they're very different. And I'm infinitely more familiar with uh, pro boxing than amateur boxing, so I'd be the same way as you. And like my uh, sparring partner in my last gym, like I guess in amateur boxing, they really really favor aggression, whether it's effective or not. I remember he said in his second fight. Even the promoter came up to him, said, "You deserve to win that fight." The guy was just chasing you, so they like that. So yeah, 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 it's a it's aggression and output. You know, those seem to be the two big things that that they like in amateur boxing, and you know, and and it's a short fight with short rounds. So a guy who's a counter puncher, uh, you know, or or a guy who's a more methodical boxer, uh, you know, they they're very limited on, on ways to win an amateur boxing fight. You know, you see it, see it all the time. Yeah, exactly. And I'm not trying to 
persuade people to not follow that style, but I believe that's a style that they should utilize at times, not all the time, because it could interrupt like with what they do come fight night, but they should utilize that more in sparring as an amateur rather than like fight night. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, you know, you you teach your kid, you know, each coach has their own individual style. You know, they, they, they imprint their style on their fighter. Each fighter has their own individual gifts and tendencies, uh, you know, and, and the end result is kind of a hodgepodge of both. Um, I think you just, you teach your kid boxing, you teach your kid the, the basics of boxing, you get them in, in great shape. You work on the things you need to work on. Uh, you know, you don't tailor their style to, to one individual score set because you know if this is something that they're good enough to do as a career eventually they they have to you know they have to transition from the amateur rules to pro rules so you would be doing them a disservice by by just training them to be uh winning amateur fighters you know i mean it's yeah hands down i could i could name guys off the top of my head who were phenomenal amateurs but that won every tournament, but never really panned out as pros because they they were so they they never adapted to the change of style. Yeah, you you see it all the time. Transition well. I thought Robisi Ramirez would be the same way. I'm happy that he's not. Um, yeah, it took him took him some time to get adjusted, you know, and he's seems to have found his groove. His name escapes me. Who was that one guy? He's kind of like a meme in the boxing community that. Guy that Wilder knocked out that has a gold medal. It's the British guy. British guy that Wilder knocked yeah, out. Oh, uh, oh gosh, out. his name his name's gonna escape escape me too. I know who you're talking about though. He uh, Here, did he fight David Hay? Yeah, yeah, and it was like one of the worst fights ever until the third round. Oh gosh, what was his I name? Think, I think his name had Harrison in it. Hold on, we're about to find out. Can you still hear me? Yes, yes, sir. Let's see here. Oh yeah, Oddly Harrison. Oddly Harrison, yes. Yeah, that's he, who it is. He didn't transition well at all. Yeah, man. Sometimes you know, sometimes that's that's the case. You know, it's it's. A, I I would say it's probably a little more rare for it to happen at heavyweight because you know he, you know heavyweight pretty much everybody can can punch <laughs> so yeah, yeah. you know there's not a whole lot of guys who are concerned about uh you know just staying busy for the sake of staying busy um but yeah that's that's a that's a good example i know he was i wonder when he retired i think he was still fighting in like 2016 2017 it depends on whenever he fought Wilder. I think that was like when he called it quits. I th- you think I that oh, that was his last fight? I'd have, yeah, I'd say it was like 2015. He retired. Yeah, man, it's 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 crazy. I mean, you look, a lot of amateur success is a pretty good indicator of success at the next level, but it's not. An absolute, you know. Yeah, it's... exactly. Like uh, once again, like I don't always remember names, even though I say all the time I have a good memory. But 
guy that fought on the Charlo Harrison 2 card and like he got totally wrecked and actually saved against somebody that wasn't necessarily a good amateur. Was it on the main card? Yeah. Yeah, I was on the undercard right before I'm uh what's his name? The F.A. Ahagwa. Right before that fight. I remember your post specifically. I was in St. Louis at the time. I watched the fight when I got home, but you were like, that fight was over. That that guy got saved 100%. I mean, he did get saved. Hmm. I have to look it up. I don't remember which All specific. All I can remember is uh, the guy has, like, bad blood with, or had bad blood with Tia Fimo and, like, the amateur. Someone was like, Tia Fimo's dead. Was about to be talking a lot of stuff. So it was. So was it a lightweight? Let's see. Let's see here. Oh, I went to the wrong Charlo. Oh, you're talking about Carlos Balderas. Yeah, so we can move on from there. <laughs> yeah, he yeah. was a very good amateur. I actually think, I think he was an Olympian. Let me see. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he was. Pretty. Yeah, he fought in Rio, lost to the Cuban in 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 Rio. Yeah, that and that uh, that loss was kind of devastating he recently signed with with top rank and he you know he fought last night he's looked he's looked revitalized since then um oh, he should has. be interesting yeah yeah he's like you know he's 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 a good fighter um oh he is he is I, I hate to see you know i hate to see one loss you know kind of define a guy's career we see yeah, that too. too often um wow. I just thought it was crazy that, like, it was years ago, and I haven't really seen anybody talk about him since. I never forgot about him. I mean, I forgot his name, but I didn't forget who he was and all that. But I yeah, I'm pre- he's still doing stuff. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he. I'm pretty sure he signed with Top Rank after the loss, and he's one, two, three, four. I think he's like four and zero or five and zero since then. So. Well, that's looks like he looks like he moved up to 135 for his last fight. So he uh, was okay. fighting at 130. Right. But every once in a while, man, you'll get in there with one of these tough kids, you know, that that uh, from South America, you know, that nobody really knows what their background is. And and, and uh, we saw that happen with uh, Gabriel Flores as well. He was somebody oh, that yes. top rank was building and. Man, he I forget the guy's name, but he got thrown in there with this absolute pit bull that was just on him from bell to bell. That was that was a, a massacre, man. Yeah, man, and that and that changed the you know, changed his career tree. You know, I, look when I, I hate to say it, but I, I get it when these guys get nervous about who they're being matched with, you know. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I I I get it because you, you just you never know. That guy actually, um, once again, I forgot his name too, but he's actually got a fight coming up against Josh Warrington. 
Oh, that's you know what? I would probably pick him over Warrington. I would too. And you know what's kind of sad about that is I, I assume that's just going to push Warrington several steps back. And I kind of wanted to see Marcusio Lara just totally end him. That's like, you know what's funny is um a lot of UK fans like get behind their guys. That's like the one fight where I see the UK picking the other guys, Lara and Warrington. Yeah, you know, Lara was kind of a pleasant surprise you know i think i think for uh for most people he was supposed to be just kind of a stay busy fight for warrington and then and then he battered him so the guy we were talking about is uh luis alberto lopez yes yeah and uh yeah i'm i'm totally i'm totally picking him over over warrington yeah me too warrington did have a a very good run for the time being, though. Yeah. Uh, so, so does that mean? I mean, that to me, that me- looks like we're unlikely to get Lara Warrington three. Then. Yep. Yep. That's what I was saying. Like, because I assume no one's going to want to see Warrington fight Lara for a third time. After it, should he lose that fight? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, if he wins that fight, then you know, then it's still yeah, bring it on. That, Still a viable a, matchup, a but, him, but you know, Lara is one of those guys who you know lost his first fight, took another loss within his first ten or so. You know what? That was actually in like 2019, I believe, and he got stopped in the first round to somebody that didn't even have a good record. So I'm happy he could bounce back like that. Yeah, you know, and he's, you know, he's a top ten featherweight right now. I don't know if you could find. I don't know if you could find 10 featherweights that you could say for sure would beat that guy. Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely not. And see, this is actually why I didn't write down a ton of questions because we're only like halfway through and we've just spawned a lot of good conversation about it. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's look, I, we were just talking about ring IQ and that's, you know, that's what we used to do yeah, is just exactly. talk boxing, but, man. It's Oh, yeah, hands down. And, if it wasn't for Ring IQ, I wouldn't have met you. So yeah, yeah, I wouldn't. You know, I wouldn't have met. Uh, you know, I. I mean, there's a ton of people that I. You know, that I still communicate with to this day. From you know, from yeah, Ring IQ, it's crazy. I. I hate that the group has. Uh, has fallen the way that it has. Yeah. Um. There's probably a couple contributing factors there, but. Yeah, yeah there is. Um, yeah, I'd love to see, you know, and it's like, you know, of course there's other boxing groups out there, but like, it's not the same. Oh, yeah. No one had it like ring IQ, dude. Especially no, like, man. Live it... fight threads and all that. Yeah. Where, where did Julius go? What's Julius up to, man? He just kind of disappeared, on... left his group behind. Yeah, exactly. Julius has been on Instagram and Twitter and he actually, he gets a lot of interviews with uh, the female boxing scene. Like, he's talked to basically every female boxer ever. Hyperbole, hyperbole of course, but... He oh, so he's doing, he's doing, doing like, boxing media and stuff. Yes, and uh, the relay's still a thing. I still tune into that every now and then. Well, that's cool. Good for him, man. Yes, yes, for sure. But he'll, like... It's kind of funny. He'll pop back in, like, every six months or a year, like... So why have things changed? And then he'll be gone the next day. It's funny. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I can't remember. You know, there's times where like I'll be scrolling through my feed and I'll see a post on a boxing page, 
and I'll comment on it thinking that it's ring IQ, you know, and then I'll look up and I'm like, oh, that's not. So I can't even, I couldn't even tell you the last time I participated in a ring IQ discussion, um, but sure. I kind of miss it. Yeah, me too. Um, should this uh, podcast of mine ever, ever get big? This is going to sound like a foreign language to a lot of people, but I do have a confession to make to you, Tanner. Um, me, Kevin, before he turned into what he is, uh, Danny and uh, James Bartlett, we all had on um, a secret group on Messenger called the Wow Squad, where we'd post stuff for like ish and giggles and like just wow it and wow the comments. Or we'd see a comment we thought was funny or interesting, and Ring IQ would be like, "Hey guys, go wow this." And we even had all accounts where we'd wow it because you know that was Kevin's thing. And uh, knowing that stuff is like permanently dead, I figured I'd tell you. Does does anybody know who Kevin Pack really is? No, that's really him. I've seen him on uh, like Facetime and stuff. Uh, it's, it, <laughs> man, he he was crazy. I, I know, you know, I, at least a, a lot of the Ring IQ guys that I stay in touch with, uh, you know, believe that that Kevin Pack becoming an admin was the beginning of the end. You know, he uh, worked. He, he was an admin for a long time, and he actually worked really hard for a while, but then. We all know he went to the everybody has a better resume than Crawford stuff. But for me, it was like, you know, look, I, I've, I've never had crosswords with Kev. You know, that he, he's done some stuff that I found funny. But for me, it was, uh, you know, it used, it used to be a group for like, I mean, dudes took that serious. It was like intense yeah. boxing discussion. And for me, I think that what, what was off-putting for me was like, the bad attempts at comedy, like the stuff that wasn't yeah. fun, like the Pernell Whitaker jokes, you know, or, you know, yeah. immediately talking about people after they died. Yeah, Kev, um, I unfriended him not too long ago. Cause uh, he, I don't even, I doubt you even saw it. He posted on um, a black and white photo of a, a woman being lynched with no like caption at all. And then he posted it. In the comment section, of course, I had nothing to do with the post, so I unfriended him. Wow! Yeah, that's that's unfortunate. But, but there was also there was a lot of humor in the chat. I mean, in the group, of course, there was Joseph Glover. In, uh, uh, shout out to Joseph Glover. Not only Joseph. not only is Joseph Glover the best character on the internet, hands down. He's also a really, really genuinely good guy. Yes, he um, is. I, you know, I owe Joseph Glover a million favors. Great dude. Yeah, me too. Just a reminder, Joseph Glover, you are a goat if you are listening to this. Or will yeah. be. Yeah, I love that dude. There were, of course, me too. And there was also times like that guy that threatened, uh, I can't even remember the dude's name. He has like a Japanese Facebook name. He's like, we fighting for each other life. It's a death match when you come to Texas. I'm trying to kill you. Remember that? Oh, he was calling out uh, Alex. He yes. it was some dude that was calling out Alex. That was hilarious. Yes, and uh, oh my Bo, gosh, Bo, Bo and Julius. That was legendary. So <laughs> do you remember? So so Joe. So Bo says, uh, you know, his in his response to Julius, he says, "I'm stationary now." And then yes. Joe Joe Glover dresses up as a stationery for Halloween. <laughs> yes, that was amazing. Oh gosh, that was legendary. Did you actually meet Joseph? Yeah, he came to one of the shows I worked in Boston. Uh gave me a lift back to my hotel. Great That's dude. awesome, because I remember uh you posted you met you met uh Bo 
Bo Bland, no, Joe Bland. And Bo oh, commented, yeah. like, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, yeah, because uh, yeah. I, I think that might have been, the show was in, I think, October. So it, was, it had to have been right around when he when he wore that costume. Um, yeah, yeah. Shout out, I can't say it enough. Shout out to Joe Glover. I hope he hears this. Yes, I hope I hope so too. Um, so this is actually the third question. I still have more. So that just shows how well this interview's been going. Um, is there any like young fighters and prospects that you can recommend to people? Because I mean, a lot of people that will hear this know you. They'll probably know the same fighters you do, courtesy of you. But is there still anybody you can recommend? Yeah, I mean, so. I mean, would it be shameless to talk about guys that I work with? Let me let I'll hear. No, I'll no, give you. No, absolutely not. Yeah. So, um, so I work with a kid, a couple kids in the Kansas City, St. Louis area. Um, one is a lightweight, Jorge Carlos, uh, signed with us. I think in I believe in August. Uh, great family, great kid. Uh, Jorge was like a six-time national champion. Uh, he's a dual citizen, so he was like he was runner up at at Mexico's Olympic trial. Um, very very talented kid. Um, big, so he's he like I said six one lightweight, and w- when you hear that, you almost think like, you know, you almost think like too skinny, you know, like they, this kid's got to be skin and bones, right? He might even be taller than six one. I'm six one, and he's taller than I am. Um, but you see him and it's, he's, you don't, you can't even fathom how he makes 135 pounds because he's like, he's chiseled, like, you know, not, you know, normally you think like Deontay Wilder, you know, with the skinny legs, you expect something like that. Not even close. He's just super dedicated, super disciplined, eats well, trains hard. And I really like his style. He had a lot of success in amateur boxing, but his style is so much better suited for the pros. So he's a long rangy puncher, uh, counter puncher. And he's got, he's got the eraser at 135 pounds. I don't know, you know, he's still a growing kid. So, you know, I don't know how long he's, he's going to be down there. Um, but he's, in my opinion, he's can't miss TV. I mean, he's, he's going to be really fun to watch. Can't wait to see what's it should. 2023 should be a big year for him. Uh, you know, you might just see him on on one of the biggest platforms. Um, you know, and then we also work with Jamar Pemberton from St. Louis. Uh, Jamar was an amateur national champion as well. 19 years old, just a, also a, a massive frame for his division. He's like a six three middleweight southpaw. Um, if I had to describe Jamar style is kind of like a kind of like a cross between it's like so he's got some Michael Nunn in him but you know because but he's got like the speed and reflex like the the unique speed and reflexes that you see from like a like a Roy Jones now I know that's like you know lofty comparisons Jamar's still you know still a kid that's got to get through some four and six round fights but I, I I see a lot of boxing I've been in the gym with a lot of elite fighters. Uh, Jamar's one of the most naturally gifted fighters I've I've ever seen. I mean, the game comes game comes so easy to him. 
Um, he's really he's 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 really unique talent. Um, and I'm interested to see how that pans out. St. Louis has a has an extremely rich boxing oh, yes. history, um, and I I I know he I know it's his desire to be the, you know the next face of of St. Louis boxing, and I I would love for that to to pan out for him. Uh, also on the roster we have uh, we have a young heavyweight. Uh, Jeremiah Milton, who who was uh was also a phenomenal amateur. I've, I've spoken with Milton. He's a great guy. Yeah, good dude. Well spoken. Uh, you know they love him in in Tulsa. You know he's always always quick to to represent his Tulsa roots and his Black Wall Street roots. Um, great dude. And and the thing I like about Milton is uh he's gotten exponentially better. Uh, he like he keeps getting, he keeps getting better. Uh, he improves every time I see him fight. Uh, you know, you can see, you know, he's with, he's with Tony Holden. Uh, so, you know, you regularly see him on the top rank cards in Tulsa, or you can see him on the Jake Paul cards, uh, you know, regularly on, on big cards. He just had a big win on the last Jake Paul card. You know, when there's a, there's a thin crop of, of good American heavyweights, you know, there's, there's, there's only a handful of them, you know, and the, you know, there's Milton is in that conversation with guys like Jared Anderson, uh, Antonio Morales, uh, you know, and that's as far as American heavyweights, that's our, that's our guys to look forward to, you know, out, outside of those three guys who are on the roster with the company that I work with, um, you know, there's, uh, DeMontez Duncan from here in Louisville. Um, DeMontez's dad is a very close friend of mine or his adoptive father. Uh, you know, DeMontez calls him pops. That's good enough for me. That's his dad. So, um, great, great family, great guy, incredible, like inspirational story. The kid literally overcame like tragedy after tragedy. They absolutely love him here. Um, and he's got a super fan friendly style. Uh, you know, we're getting ready to see him in some more competitive fights as he, you know, steps up rounds and, and all those things. And, uh, but you know, even as the competition increases, I, I expect to see, I expect to see more of the same for, you know, I, I, he's just got this, if I had to give a comparison, you know, it's, it's almost like, Golovkin-esque you know where the pressure and the power just just zaps the will from from guys to fight um he's he's definitely one to watch now you know if we go outside of guys that you know that I'm close to or or work with or you know close to the situation um I really like Amari Jones uh that's with the Devin Haney camp I think he's super talented um uh, let me think here. There's uh-huh. any guys that are like soon to turn pro that you would recommend? Oh yeah, so uh, uh so there's a kid. Well, I don't know how how soon they'll turn pro. Uh but as far as, you know, in in the amateurs right now, kids that that are extremely good. Um uh, there's a kid from Syracuse named Amir Anderson. Um gosh, I think he won like every national tournament in 2021. He's a long rangy fighter, but 
boxes extremely well from both stances and punches with power from, from both stances. Um, just a crazy unique talent. He's like, he's got a little Bud Crawford in him, but got a little Andre Ward in him as well. He's, he's definitely one I would keep my eye on. Uh, he fought a kid in the national golden gloves championships named, uh, Dante Lane, who's also one to, I think Dante's probably pretty, he's closer to turning pro than Amir is. If I had to guess, uh, super athletic Southpaw can crack. So Dante fought our kid, uh, Jamar Pemberton, I believe at a, I think it was a 2019 national. Uh, final national final and Jamar beat Dante in that fight and then they f- rematched in the national finals at 2021 and uh, Dante got the decision so he's he's a good fighter um, gosh I, there's probably a million more that I would want to mention um, that are just slipping my mind right now oh there's a uh, uh, I don't know I think he's from the DC area um kid named Quincy Williams uh he can he can really fight he can really punch too um gosh he's got he's got a teammate he's got a uh a teammate or at least was on the same national golden gloves team a kid that fights at I believe 178 pounds he can really fight too uh, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of talent in, in amateur boxing right now. A lot of guys, uh, Lorenzo Powell from California, uh, limited amateur experience. I think he won a national title within his first 10 fights. Um, yeah, su- super talented. I think he's getting ready to turn pro. Um, yeah, man, just, there's, there's a lot of talent out there right now. Absolutely. And that's why I just reminded the sport will never die. Unless the world dies. Absolutely, yeah. Um, Bo- boxing's been around forever. It's not going anywhere. The whole yeah. boxing is dead narrative is just is just weird to me. <laughs> I, I agree. Um, is um not to like cut that off so quick because I mean, what can no, I? No, it's fine. It's true. It's true. Like there's there's really no sense in saying boxing's dead. I mean, sure, maybe. Guys might operate different. It's harder to make fights now, per se, but it's not dead. There is too much talent. Yeah, no, and it's and you know, even you know, I would say around 2010, 2011, 2012, at the height of the UFC boom, you know, when MMA fans were insisting that that boxing was dead, um, you know, even at that time boxing world champions that that nobody outside of boxing even knew were still generating or or making more money than guys that were fighting on UFC cards and selling millions of pay-per-views uh you know Anderson Silva might be the greatest UFC champion of all time um and you know was a household name but when let's go back to when let's say Thurman versus Garcia, which was a big fight to boxing fans, but not really a big fight to the casual viewer. Uh, you know, Thurman and Garcia probably made double what Anderson's highest career payday in the UFC was. And 
you know, and these networks, these networks aren't just giving money to boxers for the sake of giving money to them. You know, the money's being generated somewhere, which tells us that, you know, the sport, the sport's alive and well, it's not going anywhere. Absolutely. Actually, I think it just got a shot in the arm with all this, all the influencer stuff. I think, you know, I think boxing's kind of been revitalized in the last couple of years. Yes, I agree. And I'm, uh, as we all know, not everything that's like ordered gets finalized, but a lot of like good matchups are supposed to take place, and there is some great ones scheduled. Yeah, what what's the uh, what what's some fights coming up that you're looking forward to? Um, you know what? I actually wrote this one down because, like I said, Tanner, you assess boxing and like predictions almost like. Maybe, honestly, better than anybody I've ever seen. Like, regardless if I agree with your prediction, I always respect what you say. What I want to know is, uh, what's your prediction for Roman Gonzalez and uh, Juan, Estra- Juan Francisco Estrada 3? Oh, man, that's uh, – I love that one. Uh, so, I will preface this by saying – I'm a huge Chocolatito fan, oh, yeah. so I it might be hard for me to set my bias aside. But with that said, look, everybody wrote Chocolatito off after the Rungvisai fights. And fight after fight, he showed us he's still got some left in the tank. I mean, what an absolute legend. He, I mean, first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, and, but on the flip side of that, you know, when this was happening, Everybody kind of expected Estrada to have his number now. I thought uh, so too. Estrada was looking like a real pound for pound talent, but Estrada looked kind of stale in his, you know, uh, you know, fight that, you know, the opponent theoretically should have been overmatched. Yeah, that's one thing um I don't like about Estrada because I mean I I believe when he's on that man is truly elite, but he fights to the level of his opposition, even as good as he is, and I don't like that at all. And I thought Chocolatito won the last fight. I, I agree. And uh, I thought you know I thought Estrada got away with one there. Yeah, I did uh, too. That so, one, just a reminder that one seventeen, one eleven card for Estrada was one of the worst scorecards ever. Oh yeah, it's almost as bad as the one eighteen Canelo Triple G card. Oh my gosh, disastrous. Um, yeah. So so I guess I'm I'm gonna take Chocolatito v decision just because it's, uh, you know, I, I think, I think Chocolatito. You know, there look, there's a lot of wear on both sets of tires. Uh, you know, you don't you don't normally see guys, you know, in those. 108 to 115 118 pound divisions that can stay elite into their 30s it almost never happens i think we're talking about two extremely rare talents here uh both estrada and gonzalez i just think at at this stage in the game not only does gonzalez have more to give i think gonzalez has always had more in the toolbox yes hands Um, down hands down and the thing is like Chocolatito didn't really take any, like, stupid shots. Like, there's a really big misconception that he just, like, comes forward and takes punishment. I mean, he's taken punishment before. He's gotten his face swollen. He's obviously gotten stopped. But he had incredible defense, and a lot of fans just don't seem to notice. Like, I have a lot of respect for Ibn, DeWood, Rasul. But uh, after that fight, he's like, I always thought Chocolatito was overrated. He has no defense. I, 
I thought that was really dumb for him. Yeah, I don't know that he has. Uh, you know, I don't know that he has no defense. I think he's got extraordinary offense, and that's what we've that's what we've always seen. You know, he yeah. he overwhelms guys. Whereas I think, you know, he's a he's the busier fighter of the two. Uh, honestly, I think for Estrada to beat him, he's all is almost going to have to be like a Pacquiao Marquez situation. I agree. Where, and I, I can't see him doing that honestly. Where, you know, Estrada is going to have to catch Chocolatito in between in between Chocolatito's punches. He's going to have to catch him while he's throwing and and hurt him or drop him or change the course of the fight. I don't think he can. I don't think he's going to be able to win enough rounds to beat him. He would he would have to stop like, him. Um, the thing is, I have a friend who I'm not going to name that says Estrada is going to do that. But at the same time, like Pacquiao and Marquez, regardless of how they were scored and who won what, they they both hurt a excuse me they hurt each other a lot prior to the knockout that Marquez scored. But, um, yeah, you know, I watched the the four. I watched the the fight that Marquez won, the knockout, a couple days ago, and you know, people didn't remember that knockout. I forgot how bad Manny was really putting it on him just oh, seconds yeah, but, prior to. That. I mean, he really had he had Marquez reeling, you know, and that I mean that punch landed, landed and just, gosh, what a punch that was! It might be the big, might be the biggest single punch ever. I agree, and I do think that was like. I think that was honestly the fight of the decade. Pardon my dog, people at home, and Tanner, but um, that was the fight of the decade for me. And um, I just can't really emphasize like the greatness, the importance of that fight. I mean, there's always going to be the people, like the people that value Mayweather and don't care about Pacquiao at all. Which those people don't make sense to me. But they're always going to be like Pacquiao got knocked out, so he's not anything. But I mean, that's really taken away from the incredible like achievement Marquez was able to pull off that night yeah I don't you know I, I look Marquez is an all-time great to me yes um, yes just to remind me all-time great counter puncher and and like I was just talking about he he had the um the ability to place and land punches while punches were being thrown at him better than just about anybody who's ever done it I agree and something nobody talks about is um well do you agree that Pacquiao should have beaten Tim Bradley the first time around. Oh, yes. Yes. Okay, well, so if we just imagine that fight got scored correctly, Manny Pacquiao was on an insane run of greatness. So if that fight was scored correctly, that means Marquez would have been the person to end that momentum, which in my opinion is or would be one of the greatest feats in boxing like ever. Yeah, well, I mean, look, I don't even think I don't think any I don't think any list dropped Manny from pound for pound number one after the Bradley fight. I think he retained his spot. Uh, you know, if that tells you what the perception of that fight was. So, yeah, it can't be can't be understated for you know for Marquez to go in there against a guy that he's been in there three times with and and hadn't been able to get his hand raised. Uh, you know, to still take that fight after you know you've. By all accounts, you know, you you had seen better days and your opponent is still just top of the world. And to I mean that yeah, I can't, I can't understate it's a it's a it's a great boxing moment, maybe not for Pacquiao fans, but you know, 
Pacquiao had a great career. You know, he's he a did. he's a legend. He might be, you know, he might be a top five all time. You know, it, might, it's it's might. it's you know. So uh, there's nothing to be ashamed of. You can go back and watch all four of those fights, and every one of every one of those fights is is a fight. You know, you know how it is. You can watch a fight, and you're like, okay, I'm never gonna watch this fight again. Like, yeah, exactly. But not uh, all those again. You can watch all of those fights over again. The first three, they both started to like box a bit. Like that one took a bit to come on, but it still ended up a great fight. The guys were just made for each other, honestly. Yeah, it was a it was a great era of boxing with Pacquiao, Morales, Barrera, Marquez, Floyd. It, it, it was it there was a ton of great fighters. There still are. There still are. Yeah, These guys are just are. you know it's. Like you said, Manny has nothing to be ashamed of, and like he still put put it all on the line that night. Like you said, he was on Marquez like a wild animal. Yeah, I mean, look, Manny came back and won a freaking world title at 147 yes. pounds yes, in his did. 40s. So, like, you know, he Marquez, you know, for anybody to say Marquez didn't beat, you know, possibly the best version of Manny. You know, I mean that man, Manny was at the height of his game, so and that still adds weight to Floyd's win over Marquez because he did that after he lost to Floyd. Yeah, so can I know that I know you don't um, have a lot of time. Uh, I'll ask the meatiest question first. Is there a part of you deep down at all that like misses boxing or regrets not? actually boxing because i know that you were in training for a while you had a few amateur fights i believe like is there a part of you that yeah, so, misses I mean, that or are you like completely satisfied with how things have played out for you no so i, I mean i'm sad. i so i mean i spent all of my young years dedicated to combat sports and mostly boxing and um but i knew i also knew at a young age that like I'm not athletic enough to do this for money. <laughs> so, um, I do miss it. And like, it's that fight on club shows as a professional that, like, that have, have less experience or, or that, you know, that I'm looking at and I'm like, I can get in the swing and outbox this guy fresh off the couch. Um, you yeah, know, but I, I, I'm, I'm satisfied. satisfied. I, I, oh, it's, yeah. it's really cool that I get to make money in boxing. Um, but, but yeah, I'm satisfied with how things played out as a, as a competitor. Um, now they, there's this, there's a local kid, uh, that I, that I turned pro, um, on my last show in September, no amateur experience came in, pulled off the upset, actually looked like he could fight a little bit. Um, so like okay, you know, I'll 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 see what I can do. So I've been working with him a little bit and taking him to the to the local gyms here. And yeah, he's kind of giving me the itch. I'm like, man, I might have to buy a new pair of boxing shoes, you know, just <laughs> just to just to get in the ring and do some rounds and stuff. Yeah, but I, it's been a while. I still want to like eventually spar again. Um I, re- I will always have a part in me deep down that misses it. Like, sometimes I'll actually get sad because, I mean, my first gym, this is a different story for a different episode, but um, 
I had such a hard time getting a fight in my first gym, and I don't know if my old coach is still there. I know uh, a friend slash sparring partner there. Um, he got his coaching license, and uh, th- that gym gets fights all the time. He has a kid that's like 15 and 0. I mean, I'm probably off. I have to be off, but um, they're doing great things all the time, it seems. So, I mean, I'm kind of sad that, like, I never got to experience that. I mean, I do miss hitting people, and uh, I'll always, like, be active, even if I have lulls here and there. But, like, ultimately, being out of the ring for that long, it made me not want to sacrifice my life anymore. Like, there's really no sense in that to me. And, um... I yeah, so he, here's here's kind of here's kind of my thing with with boxing is, look, boxing is a lot of fun, man. I I it, it really is, and and most of the people, most of the people who are in this with in boxing would like would still be doing it even if they weren't making money, you know, because it's it's a lot of fun getting you know going out to shows, going to the gym, you know, it's 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 just fun. So. I I would encourage you that if you if you miss it, man, go go to find the right gym. Go you know get back in shape, spar. You don't. I mean, if you don't want to fight, you don't have to fight. You're still a young cat, man. You know, like get you. You know, if, if I would encourage, I would encourage every adult male to take at least one fight because you you find out something about yourself. You know, in in, in that fight, and uh, you know, a lot of people do that. A lot of people find that out in street fights or or whatever it may be, but uh, you know the safest the safest way to do that is some sort of sanctioned combat event. Yeah, you know, close. you go out, you take the fight, one and done, like, and it's a bucket list thing. I promise you, you're you're gonna have the time of your life. Um, it's it, it, boxing is just fun, man. It's just yeah. It's, I guess that's kind of you know because it look this business isn't isn't easy i mean you got it you got a little taste of how difficult matchmaking can be uh you know that i guess the the thing that that kept me going when it when it wasn't easy was at at the end result is is a lot of fun going to the shows watching the fights and you know going to the tournaments and it's man it's just a lot of fun i can't wait can't wait to be able to share boxing with my son Oh yeah, I can only imagine that. Yeah, it's uh, and, and you know, we we talked that we touched a little bit earlier on the things boxing can take away from you and the dangers of boxing, but boxing also gives people a lot. You know, it gives back. You know, gives people a sense of confidence and and self worth and self defense and security. It gives people from impoverished neighborhoods an, an outlet. You know, to to have a career. Uh, you exactly. know, in a in a distraction from things that are going on in their environment, you know, gives them a path out of that environment. Boxing gives so much, man, and and, and uh, I wish there was I wish there was more focus on that than there was on what it takes away. Yes, yeah, hands down, especially like when that rare case occurs when a fighter dies and the media is all over it, and then people that don't watch boxing at all are like, "We need to end that sport entirely." Like, no. Real quick, do you have a favorite fight that's taking place in 2022? And uh, do you have a fighter of the year of 2022, whether it's like a fight you went to or? 
Um, so I mean, for fighter of the year, I think is pretty much a pretty much a runaway for with uh, Dimitri Bivol. Um, yeah, I agree, and that's that's one heck of an achievement given that he's not undisputed. He has one belt, but like he's just been incredible all year. Yeah, it's it's really phenomenal. I'm I'm looking forward to, um, you know, I'm looking forward to see what's next for him if if a potential better bf fight can be made um that so i the style of boxing that that bevo has really really appeals to me so um you know it's easy for me to to cheer him on um i I think he's brilliant i think he's a top 10 pound for pound fighter and i think they're, they're they're gonna have to wait for him to lose a step for for people to be able to beat him um, with that too, and you know what's funny is um somebody who I'm not gonna name, it's not like a friend or anything, was picking Zerto to win and said, a lot of people see Bivol as the better boxer, but what they don't realize is that he's textbook and basic, but Zerto's not. Like that doesn't mean anything. Yeah, so you can't beat you can't beat Bivol if you're flat footed and slow, you know, and and. I don't necessarily know that Zerto's slow, but he's definitely flat-footed. Um, he Canelo's been called flat-footed from time to time. It's just he's going to eat guys like that up because he's got such a good understanding of distance and timing and spacing uh, that he's in, gets his work off, and then he's out before you can even process trying to counterpunch him. You almost have. You're gonna have to clip him on the way in, as he as he springs in, uh, you know, and I I don't know if there anybody's gonna be able. To, I mean, better BF could do that potentially because he, yeah. you know, he throws nukes. But uh, uh, yeah, he's I, I don't. Nobody's gonna be able to outbox him for for twelve rounds. You're gonna have to put him out. As for my as for my favorite fight of the year, man, um, that's a tough one. Mine personally would be Jermel Charlo and uh, Brian Castagna too. I mean, I have an episode about the Charlos. For like that's the, the beds. That's a tough one to beat. I mean, that was that was a hell of a fight. Both of those fights were great fights. Oh, fantastic. Um, yeah, I mean, and I I was. Kind of a Charlo uh, naysayer for for a while. Uh, actually, I was a a bigger fan of Jamal than I was of Jermel. But man, with the work that he's put in since the Tony Harrison loss has just been and, uh, I next level. You pointed out to me that like before he started getting these one punch knockouts, which he even did that in like the middle of his career, then just won a bunch of UDs over and over. But like. It seemed like that night against Castano in the rematch, he, like, meshed, like, his past and current styles into, like, a pure animal. Yeah, you know, uh, it's crazy because he doesn't have a huge KO ratio. Um, And I think maybe that's – it's been a while since I've looked at it. I don't know if maybe – because in, you know, four- and six-round fights, if you're fighting decent enough competition, they know how to survive and it can be hard. Uh, you know, and if you're guys like that, yeah. And if you're a guy who who you know, we've seen we've seen him land the perfect punch over and over again. 
uh, you know, if you're fighting good enough guys, you need the rounds to be able to do that. Yeah, and um, I do believe that, like, power can be worked on, but essentially, like, pure punches are born not made. And, like, he's still here and there when he wasn't getting a lot of knockouts. He still had, like, one-punch knockouts. So, I mean, I believe he he was born with power, but he just learned how to use it a lot better with Derek James. Yeah, I, 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 would, I would agree with that. I mean, they're both, they're both, um, you know, they're both exceptional athletes. It's, they're very different fighters though. They really, they, they don't fight they similar. And it's funny, um, like, I don't always agree with commentary. People always say like, this fight was close and they got the winner right. Just watch it without commentary. But I mean, I disagree with a lot of things commentary say like, cause early on they were like, did they really fight the same? Like they don't really. No, yeah, I, I, I would, I would say, man, that's so that would probably be a tough fight to beat for for fight of the year. Uh, I, I would have to go back and look. I watched so many fights that is is hard for me to think about which you know fights what? have happened uh, this year. You know what? We don't have to spend a lot of time on this one because I know you have things you need to do. But um, this just popped into my head. Uh, Regis program. Uh, Jose Zapata, what do you what do you think of that one? Who do you like? So that's a crazy good fight. Yes. Such a good fight. Oh my god. Um it's an interesting It's an interesting Southpaw versus Southpaw fight. Um I'm gonna I think I'm gonna take Regis. Uh you know, I think the first six rounds will probably be competitive. I think Regis is the bigger, stronger guy. I think his his work will will add up, and I think we might see like a late stoppage, you know, ten, eleven, twelve from accumulative accumulative damage on uh, on because you know Zapata's good man, and yeah, he and he can crack, and he you know he's got a uh, unconventional style, and, uh, but he's hittable. You know, he, he gets is. he gets hit, and Regis can really thump, man. I'm excited to see Regis back in a big fight. Um, I'm not going to answer it, but I got a call. I hope that didn't. I said, but um, yeah, I agree. I was actually, I'm actually kind of disappointed that Regis kind of put himself on the back burner after the Taylor loss, but I still have him. He's the fresher guy. Um, Zapata had that really hard fight with Branchick, and we never know when or if that's going to kick in, which uh. Brings me back. I wanted to say when I asked you about Chocolatito and Estrada, I think Chocolatito has a superior style. I think he has the better understanding of Estrada's style rather than vice versa. But with a fighter that's been in the game for so long, taken so many punches, done so many rounds, and I believe he went pro like at a super young age, like we never know when father time is going to catch him. So I believe that would be Estrada's best chance if when they fight, Chocolatito all of a sudden does look gold. But otherwise, yeah, I'm you know, but I think I think they're kind of on the same clock, you know. Um, you know, I think. Yeah, you're right. I think it's just a matter of time that Father Time catches up to both of them. Um, you know, and what you know, they say Father Time's undefeated, except with uh, Bernard Hopkins, they got a draw. Yes, 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 <laughs> they got a draw. Um, Bernard was one of a kind. Um, is there anything you are hoping for next year, whether it's like 
fights you want to see or some like certain moves you want to make with your business? Uh, you know, I mean, I would like to just see, you know, the continued growth and development of the guys that I work with. You know, I'd like to see Jamar and Jorge both on national television. Yeah, me too. Uh, I'm keeping my eye on everybody you mentioned earlier, by the way. I think it's likely that we probably do see them on television, both of them, by by the end of next year uh, or by this time next year. Um, as far as boxing overall, oh, man, I'd like to see more cross promotional fights. Um, oh, yeah, me too. You know, I'd like to see Usyk Fury. Yes, um, yes, please. And you know, I, I. So the fight that I really want to see, everybody's talking about uh, Devin Haney, Lomachenko. Um, I'm I'm kind of looking past that fight. You know, I'm I'm looking at Haney, Shakur Stevenson. I really, really want to see that one. I think that's a like a brilliant tactical matchup uh, between two of the purest boxers I think in boxing. The fight will be should it get made. I feel like it will be. I'm not, I'm not I'm not saying they box like these two people at all. I do think it will be what people thought Lomachenko and Regandell was going to be. Well, some people, that is. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it's – so uh, I think Lomachenko versus uh, Regandell was, like, the last time that we saw, like, two, like, highly, highly respected boxers, um, you know, like, really tactical, you know – great styles i you know i mean i don't know how well devin and shakur's styles mesh for for the casual fan oh yeah yeah no. but i know i know i'm interested to see how it would play out uh and another one i i really wanted to see tank davis ryan garcia i hope we're able to get that fight yeah me too and i mean that fight that's one of the fights that i can see ending in a lot of different ways but one of those ways is not the cards yeah, no, I mean, I think somebody's going to land a big punch in that fight. Yeah, and there's obviously sides, especially for Tank, that say, like, it's just going to be an easy fight. I don't see it being an easy fight to, for either. Both have perhaps lost rounds to people they shouldn't have. Not to detract. 100%. So, 100%. And uh, to wrap things up before I actually, like, close everything and say our goodbyes, uh... Do you have any recommendations for people that would like to manage fighters or match fighters or work in the boxing business? Uh, yeah, I mean, so, look, there's there's always got to be a place to start. Um, if you're if you're brand new to boxing or or the boxing business, uh, you know, managing fighters can can be a rough gig because there's you. I mean, if you want to manage elite fighters or guys that have the potential to be elite there's expenses that are involved in that um you know so if you're if you're looking to take like a grassroots approach there's no better way to cut your teeth in boxing than to to try to match fights you get a good you know you you network you develop relationships with fighters and managers and promoters on every level um you get a feel for for what fights, you know, what, what the market value for fights are, get a better understanding of boxing finances. So then if you ultimately do want to go into something like management or promotion, you've got a better understanding of these things. You've got relationships that you've developed. I'll tell you, man, look, 
if 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 you're looking to get in, call your local promoter, see if they need help matching fights, call their matchmaker. Uh, you know, everybody's always everybody's looking for help, you know, because it's a matchmaking is a tough gig. So um, there's there's no shortage of people who would be willing to teach you, you know, the game. I've, I've been very fortunate that, uh, you know, I was able the people that mentored me early on were, were people that really knew what they were doing and, and they were, uh, you know, they they took a leap of faith on me and, and, and luckily it, it panned out for me. Um, you know, a couple of things. My, so my boss, uh, Mike Lenardi, he did like a boxing business 101 on YouTube where he answers some of like the basic starting out questions. If you're wanting to get into the boxing business, um, I believe he's getting ready to start doing like some reels on, on Instagram where he answers boxing business questions super knowledgeable guy uh you know been around for for a while works at the highest levels still going um so you know maybe follow him on instagram and and look out for those um it's a it's a great place to start i would say if uh it doesn't happen right away i hope a bunch of people hear this and uh they take up what you said and i hope they become successful like you and i hope you find nothing but success in your road too absolutely man i hope this uh hope this podcast takes up for you i know you're takes off for you i know you're uh passionate about boxing i know podcasting you know it can be can be difficult to uh to get off the ground but you yeah. know there there's 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 something to be said about keeping plugging away and uh i would encourage you I would encourage you to continue, and if uh, you know if there's anything I can do to help you along the way, don't be afraid to ask. Uh, certainly, I'll let you know. And honestly, uh, this was my favorite episode, hands down. This was the most confident I felt while potting. Uh, it was a very, very exceptional and stellar show. The interview went. I knew it was going to be great. It went better than I imagined. Uh, uh, no matter how much you and I talk, Tanner, you're honestly like one of my greatest friends. You've done a lot for me, including this. So thank you so much, Times Infinity, for being here and doing this with me. Absolutely, man. Can't wait to come back. Yes, I was going to say, you definitely need to come back. <laughs> no matter when it is, no matter how many times, you absolutely have to come back. All right, brother. You, All right, you have a good night, man. You too.